Welcome to another edition of Birds of a Feather. This is your girl AJ, the Suburban Princess. I never got a chance to really give my thoughts since uh, the playoffs have taken off for the Sixers. It's been very up and down last two games, but Sixers only know how to play that way. Let's be honest, as fans, we should be mentally prepared for an up and down roller coaster of the series. In fact, when they go to Atlanta for Friday's game, I'm not shocked if they lose. Only because I'm saying it's Atlanta. Um, they haven't been fully vaxxed, first of all. I hate to say it. I'm sorry to make y'all feel like lepers out there, but we all know that Atlanta did not truly, truly shut down. So I'm worried about my Sixers' health in so many ways. But also, too, Atlanta fans aren't like Philly fans. So if they're hype, it's only because they know that Trey almost, well, beat us first in the first game. But the second game, they almost could have beat us again. And somewhere along the line, Joel said, F this rest my knee shit, I'm going to play the whole damn game because apparently my bench doesn't know how to uh, figure it out. And I'm not going to harp on the whole Ben Simmons, he should have more points crap because my whole thing is at the end of the day, they wouldn't have lost game one if they had had Ben on Trey from the door. I don't care how tall Ben is. I don't care how fast Trey is. Trey's going to get shots just like Bogdanovich and all those other random players that hit their threes left and right because they're a shooter team. Sixers will never be 100% a shooter team because we just never seem to be structured that way. Joel is already doing more than God's work as a center. So I think that him being the most impressive big man in the league is eventually why he's going to be an MVP according to NBA standards, but apparently not in 2021. And that's fine. If they get to the finals for some miracle reason, you know, and the Nets sometimes or somehow shit the bed the rest of this series with the Bucks and the Sixers end up going against the Bucks. Um, that would be even wonderful to see Joel have a second coming because I feel like once he gets to the third round, that's an accomplishment from all the other playoffs that he's almost pretty much gotten past the second round. And with or without Jimmy, we all know that Joel is the major force of this whole team because when he's not motivated, no one else is. And we can't rely on Ben to do everything because Ben is not that type of a player. Ben is aggressive when he has to be and not on um, instinct unless he really feels like he has that opponent in his back pocket. And when he's not sure, he will pass the ball to anyone who's around. Now, in order to not beat this dead horse with what Ben should be doing and what is, I have learned to accept that Ben shows up when he does and when he does, it's great. And when he does show up, it's wonderful. Even if it doesn't mean he gets a lot of offensive points. The free throw thing is the only thing that's bugging me now because I've given up on thinking he's going to do a jumper. Game one, he was actually pretty impressive, I thought, and they just kind of lost steam somewhere in the middle of the game where they usually do between the third and fourth quarters, and they rallied in the fourth in the first game, and they could have had that one. But, you know, politics, stupid fouls, you know, the refs seems like they were they were just trying to get at every little ticky-tack thing, and I don't think they knew how to properly watch um, how Trey was working the whole team and, and consider some things fouls and some things not fouls. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the Hawks deserved that game because the Sixers shouldn't have been behind in the first place that long. Like 20, almost 40 points is ridiculous. You know, it's just, it's bad. And actually, I'm sorry, 40. That was that was the Nets and the Bucks game, my bad. But either way, the point is you underperformed and you shouldn't have even had to be behind that long but anyway they came back and I was proud of that that's why game two wasn't shocking how it went I do think that from the door Danny Green has been a liability as far as the shooting portion because even when Tobias seems to fall off he comes back a lot more than he did in the last playoff 
um, series, even not counting the bubble. Um, Because obviously Tobias had a rough playoff game in the bubble, obviously, because especially when he fell on his head and it was just blood everywhere. It was crazy. But I do think somewhere Tobias decided I am not going to be the guy to be blamed for losing a lead. So I think even when Doc puts in the bench a little soon than he needs to, uh, sooner than he needs to, I think that Tobias is the only vet you can trust to kind of keep the guys in a flow because, you know, definitely Joel needs his rest. He's really not even supposed to be playing as long as he does. And I'm glad they didn't put him on a minutes restriction in a way because I think that would be an insult to him knowing that majority of the season he was pretty much in tip-top shape with the occasional uh, week or two off for his knee or for something else but I don't think that he um, to me showed any signs of mental weakness this season I think Joel came back with a vengeance because he really wanted to get the MVP even though it was just announced that Nikola Jokovic won it and and at this point you know Ben just found out he's not DPOY so both of them having a, a haven't gotten their goals but that's okay because at the end of the day we all know it's politics we all know that when the NBA has you in their their back pocket you you naturally fall in line for all the awards without even really having it apply in the postseason so I mean you know Jokovic just lost last night to the Suns because the Suns are on a tear and I'm happy for Devin Booker I think that Devin Booker has proved a lot of people wrong this season um Chris Paul obviously was a help because Chris Paul is the bossiest short dude in the NBA, but he's he's obviously a, a face in the league, obviously being on the, um, uh, I forget he's on a major position, I think in the NBA uh, commission or something like that. I forget his official title. But the point is he's still respected on the, on the court, even when he had a bum shoulder. I don't think he wants to sit out this time. Whereas before CP3 sat out when he was on the Rockets team, and that's pretty much, that was the last time Harden, James Harden had a shot to even get to the playoffs, I mean, to the finals. Um, and now Harden is the one on the sidelines with a nagging hamstring in- in- uh, injury for the Nets, which doesn't seem like it matters because Kyrie and KD are pretty much holding it down. And then Blake, the nougat Griffin, is dunking his, you know, like he's never, pl- he just got his rookie contract yesterday, suddenly finding new life in his early 30s. But, you know, things work at the at the times that they work. And with the Sixers, you just never know. I know it's very easy for the national pundits, you know, the vets like Shat and, Sh- and Check and Charles to believe that the Sixers have no shot, even if they do get past this round. But it's very easy also to be on the outside looking in when you don't watch the whole game. And as a fan, you know there are lulls when the Sixers start losing in third or they start losing the lead in any portion of the second half. And that's when you know, like, things start to get nerve-wracking. Well... A lot of it has to do, I do believe, with just like with Brett Brown, sometimes the substitution issues sometimes don't make any sense. And I agree with what Crystal Rich said on Sixers Outsiders that sometimes you don't understand why Doc goes to the bench so quickly. And whether or not you want to rest the veterans, you know, for the latter half of the first half and then put them in before halftime, fine. But choose the right guys from the bench to start with. You know, give Maxi for the for the energy jump, you know, when the energy shifts. Put George Hill in, you know, when they feel like they're lacking in rebounds or at least lacking to the basket, you know. Um, give Ben a break when he doesn't see anybody to pass to when he rushes to the basket and hesitates, which drives everybody crazy who really is obsessed with Ben being this perfect specimen. I, for one, I only notice it when they're behind. You only notice Ben's flaws when the team is flawed. 
because Ben usually doesn't matter when they're ahead and he's not shooting shots. His free throws is really what drives me crazy now because I, I know he can do them and he does them consistently. So to see him go 0 for 6 at one point during one game and then, you know, 1 for 3 another, it's like, all right, Ben, seriously, <laughs> like, we thought you squashed that demon. So it's all on him. And I think sometimes even he may overpractice. I now I know I'm probably gonna get shot for that because I know most people think he doesn't practice but we see him practice you know obviously before a game and posting videos of what he does in the offseason means nothing if it's not showing in the in the actual game so at the end of the day I think he just needs to relax you know I think sometimes he puts himself in a pickle mentally and I think that's where he locks up and when you need him most especially when the opponent decides to use him as a target you know like the wizards tried and failed because that's when ben made two two of two um he still manages to be very lackadaisical with that and those are the points that sometimes come back and smack him in the face when they lose because every little point counts and that's even for joel i mean joe was missing baskets the other night too for game two but and he knows better but i give him more props than anybody or, or at least a pass because you know, his knee still being a factor with, you know, a loose, uh, a meniscus tear, your whole pull-up game sometimes gets affected. You know, some of his fadeaways were, were way off and sometimes he was just hurling it up to hurl it up. But I also just think I get nervous more when he dunks because you don't want him landing on that leg too much. But I think when he sees a path, he goes, which is supposed to be your first instinct anyway. So to me, Joel has always been the all-around crazy freak of nature specimen that should have been an MVP a while ago. But his lack of consistency and attendance, I guess, because basically, let's face it, the MVP award seems to just be a perfect attendance award, um, is the only thing that held him back because he had no reason to not be voted um, as MVP. I know Rudy Gobert, and I understand why he got Defensive Player of the Year. I get it. But when it comes right down to it, the playoffs mean more to me than the regular season. So I really think that the MVP stuff should really be only voted in the postseason. Because if you want to give somebody like, again, a, a, you know, thanks for participating award, those with those categories should be for during the regular season. Because basically, if you show up for all 82 or whatever games they played this year, um, that's really where you, you should get recognized. Then when it comes to playoffs, when it really matters, the fact that you kept your stamina and you're still in decent shape, even though everybody's obviously banged up by the, by the playoffs, the fact that you even managed to keep your team afloat in a series really is where those awards should really mean something. So if that if that's the case, then Joel should have that award hands down. But it, like like he said in this post conference presser during game after game two, you know it really doesn't matter when the main award is is the main trophy you get when you win the finals, and that's basically what he deserves. And I just feel like mentally, all he needed to do was click in, and everybody else would buy in, and he just had to lead by example. Now, I'm not going to go off on stupid stuff. I'm really happy for Shake Milton, though, that he kind of came alive at the, at the most crucial time of the game when um, the Sixers started losing the lead again. And I feel like his confidence obviously got a boost. And the fact that Doc made it a point to say that he actually practiced the night before a lot more to get his you know shot correct, I like that. Now, if we could just get Matisse to be um, a more consistent three-shooter, now, three-point shooter, I think that the worst thing that... Mike Missinelli always mentions is that he's not a shooter. Obviously, he's a shooter. 
he is strongly more of a defensive person but to you know when he labels people as saying they can't hit threes and then they do it's just contradictory I get overall if you're saying you're not known for a shooter but don't say that that Matisse doesn't hit threes he hit threes clearly well it's just he doesn't do them consistently because I think in his mind he's like I'm just doing this to kill time before I get back on the on the defend as a defender but him and Ben have to learn to not make stuff such throwaways. I understand you can't mentally be 100% all the time during the flow of the game. Eventually fatigue gets to you. Eventually that's why you have to sit down. But we all know sometimes that it's hard for Ben to want to rest and it's hard for Matisse to want to rest when you're in the flow of the game. But sometimes mentally, I mean, especially myself, I know, you can check out even when you're, even when you're engaged, if that makes any sense. Sometimes you can just mentally have a brain fart. And I think a lot of the times that's what Ben does when he sometimes is not worrying about Am I making foul shots? You know, now he'll hear the booze in Atlanta because now it's a hot topic. You know, I mean, they're making jokes on social media about compared to how Giannis can't hit a foul shot and he's totally off every time. And I don't even know. I think he only made one during that uh, game too with the Nets. But I look at Giannis and, and it seems like he is so dedicated and so, and then he shoots a brick and you just want to sit there and go, what was all that for? Whereas Ben at least looks like he knows he wants to, he's going to throw it in. It just doesn't go in. And sometimes it's just too hard. You know, he's just too hard. You know, I guess the technique they say is he's not keeping his elbows in, whatever. But sometimes you can tell Ben's just like, whatever, just get this over with. I want to get to the, you know, I want to go block. I mean, I want to go defend. And so mentally you can tell where the youth um, can kick in for some of the players on the Sixers because they're just inexperienced in knowing how to consistently lock in. That is why I digress, why I flip um, the subject back to uh, the reason why Kobe is still going to always be that bar because Kobe never shut down. And yes, it's very hard to lock in totally and not and be a normal person, you know, and function. But some players, that's just, it's automatic. When the Sixers have games where they feel like they own it and then they take their foot off the gas, that's when, that's what fans hate. That's what drives fans crazy. And that's what makes pundits on, you know, the NBA on TNT never really even talk about the Sixers when they talk about finals because the Sixers never seem to consistently keep their foot on the gas. And that issue has been redundant you know what I mean like honestly since AI when he was in his height of his career um the Sixers have always had you know what if issues you know what if they had better shooters what if they had more support around I you know it doesn't it doesn't die you know um when teams do shut down and, and actually lock in the whole year like the Eagles did winning the Super Bowl and the, the Phillies did in 08 it's like, it's very rare. It's like, go you go in at least another five to 10 years before that happens again. So, um, you know, and it, and it almost to me is always an asterisk when you have people like the Patriots who consistently win and consistently win until it finally dissolved. But there's always a helpful, obviously, option. I mean, you know, I say asterisks with the Patriots because we know that some of those wins were questionable with now some of the investigations that came out. But the point is they always seem to mentally have no problems in getting to the end goal, even when they're losing. So I think the reason why the Sixers and any Philly team gets kind of shitted on at times is because I think a lot of the national pundits know that we do not have that, that mental dog all the time, 24 seven, when, when we play teams, we just don't. And a lot of the time too, it's also because we rotate our roster so fast that people can't really get locked in when they're learning somebody on their team almost every other year. 
Um, And so therefore, I think the continuity of even trying to be consistent gets messed up constantly. It's either a salary issue why they don't stay or an injury issue or, you know, uh, the coaching issue. So there's many reasons to me why, why Philly always can get that short end of the stick. And I don't want to also be one of those fans that also gets so caught up in what the national media says because they're they're paid to kind of be really dramatic and extreme. So even when you have former players like Barkley and former players like Shaq, who clearly have agendas because they're there for a reason, um, I think with Shaq, I think he just doesn't understand Embiid's ability and yet not being able to consistently play you know he looks at him like well if you can do all that then why can't you stay on your feet you know why are you always injured but Shaq could never hit a field goal I mean he could never hit a free throw so Embiid's got him there and Embiid's got him because he can hit fadeaways Shaq couldn't do that you know there's tons of things he may have been dominant dominant under the basket but Embiid can be under the basket and and be a free throw uh, a three-point shooter so at the end of the day that lack of being able to relate, you know, mentally and and strategically to a player in another generation. Yeah. There's always going to be a huge gap. And, you know, I think Embiid got to the point where he finally realized that he has to tune everything out because he knows that a lot of people just don't relate to him, his ability. The problem was, I think that he doubted in himself when the team was going through that whole flux, you know, coming out of the whole process, uh, uh, years And I think that once he finally got a team that could possibly go somewhere and they almost did, you know, Ben kind of wasn't there, you know, and I think Ben also needed that help to know where. And I think Ben still is going through, obviously, a mental uh, shift, you know, in, in whatever he feels that as a player he needs to do. And then as to what is the actual reality of what he should do, you know, his philosophy of how he should play as a player is definitely conflicting with what the NBA standards of a point guard should be and that's going to be his inner battle but as a fan we can't make him do it you know his coach can't even make him do it and yes I do agree to a point there is obviously a lot of enabling going on but we also don't know behind the scenes what's actually being said you know I feel like internally Ben knows what he needs to do but I don't think he knows how to translate it into his play consistently because he'll turn around and drop 42 on the one regular season game you know minus Joel being there at the time but still and then turn around and just be invisible and be 0 for 6 you know what I mean so it really you have to consider he's also not a robot you know and and both him and Joel are, are fascinating because of their their strong um, performances but then they're also their um, noticeable disappearing acts. <laughs> so I think that's really what makes everybody so stressed out with both of them being such extremely fascinating um, dynamic players, but yet having the same quandary as to why they can't turn it on all the time. Um, I personally have decided to mentally check out of caring about whether Ben does stuff. Yes, it's annoying. And yes, I do believe when the Sixers lag and he doesn't try to, try to take a chance and take a shot, you know, or at least try to charge a basket when no one's around because he can't pass it all the time. Not everyone's up there at the time he does. Um, that's when it's obviously a glaring annoyance. But it doesn't happen often. It just happens just enough times to be like, yo, you don't notice that you should do something there? Like, what? what, what is your thought process? <laughs> you know, if Matisse is not there, George Hill's not there, no one's on your left and your right, I think you should just go. And I think sometimes Ben just gets into a rhythm like, this is where I turn and I do this. And I just want to be like, no, Ben hoof the ball up you know just take a shot you know but I got to the point now where I'm just I hear so many people agonizing out that I don't feel like I even have to you know uh 
constantly side with people through social media or calling in even on the radio stations because it's just it's just tiresome and it gets to the point where it's just like you're stressing yourself out over someone you cannot control you know and yes it's annoying because we all know he can but again translating in his mind translating to what the NBA feels like they just don't match up and it's going to be a fight for him if he wants to continue to, to operate that way but hey it's his world not ours so at the end of the day, yes, we, we hope that this doesn't sink, you know, Sixers dreams of trying to get to the finals and winning. But at some point, um, at some point, he's going to have to have a, a, a vision of himself changing, you know, because a little by little, he is starting to make little adjustments, but they're so subtle that some people don't even act like it's happening because he doesn't do it all the time. So it's there. But I think you, you as, a, as a human being, cannot tire yourself worrying about what Ben Simmons does or doesn't do because he's too fantastic otherwise. Um, Matisse as well. And I love how um, Maxie and Shake, you know, Maxie and Shake are starting to really uh, become these fearless young, young stars. And I know that next year, Shake is going to be way better because I think he knows what he's been doing wrong. I just think, again, it's no different from what I just said with Ben earlier. You just have to translate it. Um, and then Maxi is just fearless all the time. Now he just got to fine tune his technique, you know, give him, the, give that kid one summer and another off season. And please, he's, he's, he's going to destroy him. You know, he's going to be one of those kids freaking fearless. And that's what's exciting. Um, and the rest of the squad, you know, we don't know. I mean, you know, Isaiah Joe may stay as, as a backup backup. We may still keep, you know, B-ball Paul. Um, and my mic, I love him to death. I know he's probably, it's probably going to be a wrap after this. Most likely it will be a wrap for him, but I don't know if it's going to be a wrap for him for NBA. I don't know if maybe he's just going to go to another team and just, and just, you know, be a one year vet or if he's just going to retire, but I don't know. I don't know if physically he was ever really right. And maybe that's why he hasn't been able to be consistent, um, contributor off the bench, but I miss his presence. I always love when he's on the, on the court, even when he's not doing great. Cause I think he's just, he's just fine. He's just so good to look at, but he's not being Mike of, you know, playoff old. So, um, and in that sense, that's sad, but at the same time, it's also saying, Hey, you know, he's been on many teams. This is the one team I think that really probably changed him as a, as a, not only just a player, but an individual. I think he realized how much the fans loved him. So I don't think he's probably taking it too hard, but I'm sure it's agonizing him to not be on the court during a playoff where they could pretty much take it to the to the to the head really this year. So yeah, it's it's probably mental torture, but I also don't feel like Mike's that type of person to get that stressed out about stuff like that. But, you know, I'm sure he knows those fans still love him. I still tweet at him like he's gonna tweet me back and I still send him stuff on IG because I'm just I'm an obsessed fan of his. I just love I love his presence and I don't care what dudes say about him. Nine times out of ten, they're just jealous. And then also they just obviously disappointed with his um, lack of play this year and the, and the year before. So I just always like to focus on the positive with guys that I like that are on teams that I like because, you know, at one point we were all cheering their name, you know, just like people were saying about Carson, you know, Carson Wentz. Now he's gone on to the Indianapolis Colts. So as many people say they don't care about what he does, they're lying. They care. Um, we want him to do good for us to be able to get a first round pick, but at the same time, we also, you know, we don't care in terms of his progress as far as whether he wins with the team. We just know if we play him, we want to beat him, but I want Carson to do well. I want him to show that he's capable of getting himself to the playoffs and stuff and getting past it. Um, I, I think he has yet to really taste what it's like to be in a playoff situation and 
I just feel like he deserves that as an individual being, especially because he's such a strong competitor mentally that I think that it would just, for him to not be able to get through a first round by himself, this, I mean, not by himself, but like be able to still be standing <laughs> and get and be playing in the playoffs to possibly get to, um, you know, a conference final or whatever. That would be just good for him mentally, but I digress. I'm a fan. So I wrap this up by just saying we will be back with uh, another co-ed. Eventually me and Eddie are going to do another video and we're going to discuss how we think game five is, or excuse me, wow, game three is going to go in Atlanta and whether or not we feel a win or not. Um, I personally would say I wouldn't be shocked either way how it comes out. I just would prefer it not to be so lopsided early on. I would like it to be a nice contest throughout the whole game. Um, I would like, if it has to be a dramatic ending, just let it fall into the Sixers' favor. I would like them to shock the Atlanta Hawk fans. They have won in Atlanta before. I know they have. Um, knowing that that's actually Mike's first team, Mike Scott's first team, that would be funny if uh, for some weird reason he gets on the court because they're beating them so bad and he gets to shoot a three or two just for the hell of it. But... Um, yeah, so it's a wrap right now for Birds of a Feather. I just thought I'd give my points out, just, you know, as as me, AJ the Spurden Princess. Um, and I will be back because I think I'm going to do another special female perspective pod about, I don't know, just the way we feel that women's perspectives are being um, attacked and or, I don't know, dissected in the media, especially regarding the Naomi Osaka. And I know I spoke on it before, but I think it's really important to um, interject a lot of other stuff that's been developing since she's withdrawn from the French Open and, and, and knowing that the real fear in all these instances with women in sports is not just because they have opinions, it's because money is more important to these organizations than dignity and peace of mind. So I will delve into that as a female uh, and keeping it real. And I'll shout out some other podcasts that I'm listening to currently to see if you want to join me and, you know, sign on. So until then, thanks for listening. Birds of a Feather, AJ, the Suburban Princess. I will talk to you guys soon with the co-ed edition. Ciao.